Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today we're continuing what we taught on yesterday as the sword of the Word of God. The sword in you is what God put in you from the Word. That's His sword. But there comes a day you pull it out and start to use it against the circumstances of life. And I love what Romans chapter 8 tells us. What are we supposed to say to these things? If God be for me, you cannot be against me. The weapon that Jesus had has been given to us. Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello, this is Pastor Bob. Welcome again to Student of the Word. We're continuing with our study on the power of the Word of God, the sword of the Word of God. And uh, we began with a verse of scripture in Hebrews chapter four that talks about the Word of God in us is a sword, but it's God's sword. He puts it in there and that sword can begin to divide between the soul and the spirit. It can it take the things that we look at and go, was that really God or not? It helps us to understand what's of the flesh, what's of the world, what's of our natural thinking, but also what's of the Holy Spirit because it divides between the soul and the spirit. The soul picks up the natural side of life, but also we're to fill that soul with the word of God by studying it to where we become again mature. This is the purpose of the word of God in our soul. And then we took it and we applied also in the Greek Greek word, therefore sword is the word makaira, but we found it a second time when it talked about that the word of God inside of us also, when we take it and speak it, it becomes our sword. The first sword is God's sword. That's the word of God. Then when we take it and start to use it, it becomes our sword. And again, the same word is used as the word makaira. And that word makaira, again, is a Greek word. It talks about the sword that was used by the in the ancient world by those that were of the uh, uh, the Romans. And the Romans who went out, the Romans invented this sword. In fact, one of the greatest inventions of the ancient world, and that was, it was a short sword. Let me get back to it again. Other uh, armies around the world thought the bigger the sword, the better. And so it was heavy, so they had to carry it across their shoulders whenever they went into war. And then to use it, they actually had to stand there and cock it to use it. And it gave the person they were attacking plenty of time to duck, move out of the way. But once they swung around and they were off balance and you could come at them with the short sword and, and stab them with it and it could be stabbed forward and it could be used from side to side because it was not only sharp on the front, but it was a two-edged sword. Something again that had not been planned. Many of the swords of the ancient world had one sharp side on it. You swing it in one direction and this could be used in any direction. You were never off balance with this thing. So it is with the word of God. So the word of God, we talked about Ephesians chapter six, verses 14 through 17, talk about all of our armor, but it ends with the sword or the Machira of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. And that's Rhema. The one that God puts into us, we study to bring it into our life, but we speak it out of our mouth to use it as the sword that God is wanting us to use. The sword is the only offensive weapon found of the weapons of our warfare in Ephesians 6. All others are defensive weapons. The word you studied for personal growth now becomes a weapon to use at the problems of life and Satan himself inside of us once understood, we now pull it out like a sword and use it. Jesus used it with the temptations of Satan. Three temptations were thrown at Jesus for him to abandon his, his responsibility and his purpose of life and to turn over and become the servant of Satan. But in all three cases, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And after three times, Satan had to depart for a season, came back later, but he brings back something to us is that Jesus used faith-filled words by quoting the word of God 
And Jesus cursed a tree, but then told us we could curse mountains and they would move. And I think the best example of this is brought out is Romans chapter eight and verse 31, where Paul's describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of us. He then comes to the power of the word of God inside of us. And in Romans chapter eight and verse 31, he qualifies that statement by saying this, then what shall we say to these things? What things? They're brought out in the remainder of the scripture. Tribulation, that's the problems of life. Distress, that's the anxiety that comes because of the tribulation. Persecution, when people come at us for being a Christian. Famine, that's a lack of food. Nakedness, a lack of clothing. Peril is the fear that we have in life that each one does because of what could be coming on the horizon. And finally, sword is war. In anything that we face, we can have peace inside of ourselves and we can speak to these problems, to persecution, to famine, to peril, to sword. If God is for me, you cannot be against me. This is the power of using the sword that God has given to us. Let me just talk to you about swords of the ancient world. Of course, the Machaira is the one we're gonna end up with because it was so famous in the ancient world, literally changed the course of war from that time on. What were the swords of the ancient world? Well, you know, I grew up playing baseball. When I was in elementary school and by the time I was in junior high school, I was playing peewee ball. And so, but you know what? As little boys, we always, every hit, we want to hit, you know, just throw me a good ball. I'm going to knock it out of the park. And so we would take and we would get the heaviest bat we could find. And we figure out that we're going to hit that and we would not choke up on it. No, we hold it out the end because we want to get that thing swinging around as hard as possible and knock it over that wall and have everybody cheering. And we go, yeah, yeah, look what I did. But that was hard to do because the ball was coming at you fast. And next of all, if you got a big bat, it left you off balance. And the coach was always telling us, find one where you're not off balance. Come on, find one that's not off balance that you can swing around easy. And the point of it is quit trying to knock it out of the ballpark. Just get it past the infield where you can make a single or a double or something like that. If you happen to get a home run, great, but don't keep trying for home runs. Just try to knock the ball in a certain place. In other words, be calculating about it. and Don't just try to knock the cover off the ball. So they did. So we would do that. And so again, I learned that very early in, in baseball, but there's still times I'd get a bigger bat thinking, oh, I'm going to knock it out of the park. And you know what? It did. It left me off balance. I would swing and oftentimes swing all the way around and end up fell, falling on the ground, having to get back up. And it just showed my ego, just showed my pride. I have to try to get as big a bat as possible. And again, knock the ball out of the park. In ancient battle, it was thought the bigger the sword, the better. And so the Machaira, the Roman sword later, was one of the greatest inventions of the ancient world. It revolutionized war. Let's talk about the other ones, Romphia. The Romphia, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, this is what the barbarians used. The Thracian sword, broad, five, six feet long, large double handle, one sharp edge, and it was carried over the shoulder. This thing was so six feet long. Can you imagine? It might have been taller than the soldier himself. But again, they're carrying it over their shoulder, and they can be seen. And literally, the size of the sword would scare the troops that was coming at them, thinking, if that thing comes at me, there's nothing I can do. But what they didn't realize was, until later in battle, you start watching how the person uses it. And like that great big bat with a little baseball player, they would swing that thing around, and they'd be off balance. They'd be off balance when they cocked it. They'd start to swing, and it took so long to get that around, you had time to duck. By the time it got to this time, they were off balance, and they could, you could easily reach up with your sword and kill 
them. But the problem was if the other side had big swords, it made it hard to do it. And that's when somebody on the side of the, of the Romans figured out, you know what? A short sword's all we need. In fact, when they're off balance, we could just pull out a knife and kill them. I mean, that because they're all so off balance. And so that's where the idea came for the Roman sword. Next of all was the Zephos. The Zephos just had one sharp point and it was dull on the edges. All you could do was thrust and you had one chance to kill the enemy. Then there was the Echinacase. This was the Persian sword. It was ornamental, but not useful. Used for ceremonies, used for knighting people, and the handle was covered with jewels, but it was not used for war. The Dolon, and the Dolon was a sword hidden in a staff for a cane. You've seen these before, an assassin sword. They would come up, they'd be standing there with their cane, and somebody turned and they'd pull the, the handle off the cane, and it was just a small uh, dagger type thing, and they would kill somebody with it. That was called the Dolon. Again, a sword that was hidden inside of a staff for a cane. And then came again the Roman sword, one of the greatest inventions. The Roman sword was short. The blade was 18 inches long. That's just a foot and a half long. It was sharp on both sides and sharp at the point. So lightweight that the soldier was never off balance. Used it every day by the soldier, not only for fighting, but it was used for everything. He would shave with it, cut food with it. It was kept sharp by using it because sliding it in and out of the sheath, the sheath became the, the whetstone. You could slide it in and out and it kept it sharp all the time. The more you used it, the sharper it became. The rhema sword of the spirit is pulled out of the word of God, which is logos and replaced to keep the sword sharp. In other words, we come back to it. I want to talk to you about these different types of swords. Let's go back over it again. What the word of God is not is first of all, a Romphia. It's not anything that leaves you off balance. It's not large. It's not something that takes everybody's attention. It's not something everybody can see. Again, that's not what the word of God is intended to be. Some glamorous thing or some scary thing that when we come walking up, people fear because it's like we got the word of God over our shoulder and we're going to cut them to pieces with it. It's not the Zephos. The Zephos had one sharp point and double edges. The word of God doesn't have one sharp point. And some people think that, you know, it's end times, end times, end times, end times, or else it's, you know, live for Jesus, live for Jesus, live for Jesus, go to the, go to the Philippines, whatever. People just keep hitting one point over and over again and forget the word of God doesn't just have one sharp point. All you could do again was thrust with that and you had one chance to kill the enemy, but the Bible is not that way. It's not the Akina case. It's not ornamental. It's not one big thing you open up and put on your coffee table and you have the most beautiful cover you can find, the biggest print you can find. You have Jesus, you know, words in red, although I don't mind that. But again, you have this thing and all it is, is just something to be looked at. It's never opened. It's never studied. It's only pulled out once in a great while for particular things. And this is, again, was the Persian sword, the Akina case, but the word of God is not something that's ornamental or just laying around is to be used every single day. The Dolon, there's, there's, this is the one hidden in a staff or a cane. And the word of God does not have hidden meanings. It's not something you pull out and have to figure out exactly what it's saying. And this thing also had one sharp point, just like many of the other ones did. But again, this one was one that was hidden. An assassin would use it and the word of God does not have hidden meaning. Let's get back to that Machaira. It was short, short blade, sharp on both sides and could be a point. The word of God can be a dagger. The word of God can be taken one way or the other. This is what the word of God can do. It's lightweight. So again, it never leaves you off balance. It's something you use every day. It's not just something you use for study. It's something you use in every day of life. 
while you're driving down the street in traffic to keep you from losing your temper, you have the word of God. Again, just like the soldier could use it for shaving, for cutting food, this sword is kept sharp by sliding it in and out of the sheath, which is the word of God, pulling it out of the word of God, using it, putting back in the word of God. The rhema sword of the spirit is pulled out of the logos, that is the word of God we have, and replaced to keep it sharp at all times. This is in Ephesians chapter six and verse 17, and also Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, that the word of God is to be used in every area of life. This is the power of the word of God. This is the power of God's sword given to us, but pulled out and becoming our sword to attack the things of life that come against us, to slay the enemies that God has having, but also to use it to help people. Because the word of God is not just a weapon to be used against Satan. It's something we use in every area of life for sympathy, for taking care of people, for funding things, for going to church, for helping with the building program, to help missionaries. This is all something we do from the word of God and being obedient to scripture is so powerful. I will see you right after the break, right after halftime, because I want you to have a copy of what we're offering today, Standing on the Rock, which with the rock is the word of God. And more than something to just be studied, it's something to be used, stood on, and applied toward the devil so that we win every single time. See you right after the break. Hearing the Word of God and then doing the Word of God forms a foundation of solid rock in your life. Hearing the Word of God and then not doing it forms a foundation of shifting sand in your life. In these six lessons, Pastor Bob Yandian reveals that it is not just the hearing of the Word, but also the doing of the Word that brings blessing to your life. Based on Matthew 7, this series explains the importance of building your life on the strong foundation of God's Word. Hearing and doing the Word of God gives us power over sin, power in prayer, power to produce good works in our lives. The Holy Spirit brings holiness, stability, and power in our lives through the double-edged sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To order Standing on the Rock, visit our website at bobyandian.com. The Holy Spirit has always been with man, but only in a limited ministry before Pentecost. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit lived in a temple made with hands and came on individuals at certain times to do a certain task. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, not just to let us in, but to let the Holy Spirit out. From that day until this, the Holy Spirit desires to live in every person who will be born again. In Life and Power, Bobby Andian carefully examines the Holy Spirit's ever-present role in our daily life, the types and shadows that explain His ministry, and how the world was changed when He came into the upper room, filling New Testament believers with boldness and power. Life and Power is available in book form as audio CDs or downloads, video DVDs, or as both audio and video on a USB flash drive. To order Life and Power, visit bobyandian.com slash lifeandpower. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
The power of the spoken word is brought out not only in what we do in using the word from our mouth, God showed it to us. In fact, in the word of God, we find this is how God created the universe. This is how he created everything around us was by the spoken word of God. He didn't have to study it. He was the word. He is the word. But we do have to study. When we're born again, we come from a place of being dead to God. Now we're alive to God, but the thing we're missing, we have his life in us, but the thing we're missing is the wisdom of God. That's where it comes from studying the word of God. And the more wisdom we get from the word of God, the more understanding we get from the word of God, the more we can begin to fashion it by the words of our mouth, speaking against the problems of life, but also using his word to bless and to heal people and circumstances around us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter one. We're going to talk about the importance of God's word and what happened when he spoke it. Things came into being, and we need to understand that his word is still that powerful. His word is still creative, and what's inside of us can be spoken, and creativity and power comes out of our mouth to mend situations and to create situations, but it demands us studying it first so that we speak it out. We don't just speak out our thoughts. We don't just speak out our ideas. We speak the written word of God and cause it to become rhema. What God spoke, what God declared, we can speak, we can declare. And when we do, powerful things begin to happen. Jesus used the word again three times against Satan and said at three temptations from Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written, and quoted the word of God to him. And that word combated and literally contradicted what Satan had said and finally caused Satan to have to leave for a while. And Jesus kept using the word of God. It is our way too. When Jesus cursed a fig tree, the disciples were shocked. And Jesus said, what do you mean a fig tree? You can speak to mountains and cause them to move. And again, we read in chapter eight of Romans, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, you cannot be against us. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three says this, God, who at different time periods, polymeros in the word of God, and in different ways, polytropos, God who at different time periods and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Verse one is the Old Testament. And it's simply in one simple statement capsulizing what the Old Testament is. God had five time periods in the Old Testament and in each time period called dispensations, he spoke at those different times, but he spoke in different ways in each one of those time periods. He spoke in time past to the Jewish fathers through their prophets. So the Old Testament is primarily directed toward the Jews through their prophets and God spoke to them in five dispensations they were in, and he spoke to them in each dispensation in a different way. Verse two goes on and now speaks to the New Testament and wraps it up in one sentence. Has in these last days spoken to us. Us is the church. Us is the body of Christ. Has spoken to us by his son. In the Old Testament, he spoke through the prophets, to the fathers, the Jewish fathers. Today, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the ages or the dispensations or the time periods. The Old Testament had five time periods. The New Testament has one. 
who being the brightness of his glory, this is Jesus Christ, and the express image of his person, God's person, and upholding all things by the spoken word of his power. This is the word rhema. We now find that all things were created by Jesus Christ by the speaking of his word, and the speaking of his word caused the creation of all things around us, and also not only created all things around us, it upholds it. It keeps order into it. The universe not only was created by Jesus Christ, it runs perfectly because of Jesus Christ. And it all started with the words out of his mouth. Are you beginning to get an idea? If we pattern ourselves after God, then our conversation filled with the word of God can literally bring order to our life, can bring creativity in our life because we have the power to speak the same words. Again, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How God approaches man is different in each age and mankind has always had a Bible, whether it was in print or not in print, whether it was in sacrifices or something like that, they've always had something they can study and then come to God with. In innocence, which is the first of the uh, dispensations, God was personally available through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and visited them every day. The second one was conscience. After the fall of Adam came conscience where men did everything that they saw in their own mind and God left them to their own conscience. What each man thought was right, he did. And in that time, we have the conscience time period where God spoke in an audible voice. And during that time, Noah heard from God and built an ark. Then the next one was human government after the flood. And this one, of course, ended with the Tower of Babel. And not only his voice, but manifestations of angels came at that time. This is how he spoke. During the dispensation of promise, this is where he found Abraham. We find out that he spoke by his voice. Angels spoke. Dreams and visions came along. And again, this is the way that God spoke to him in that time period. Then came the dispensation of the law and they had a partial Bible, the writing of the law. They had the voice of God, angels, manifestations like burning bushes, visions, dreams, all these things were still available. God spoke in each time period in a different way. Why did God speak? So they would get in their heart and they would change. They become, by listening to his voice, understanding his voice, receiving his revelation, they begin to act more like God. Join the club, that's what we do today. We have it in written form, thank God we do. We have the entire Bible, thank God we do but we're to study it, we're to meditate on it, we're to put it inside of ourselves to where we begin to look more like God. But once we start to voice it, we begin to act more like God. We take his voice in us, his word in us is his sword. We take that, make it our sword, and we start to go out. And with our voice, we begin to attack the problems of life, even Satan himself. During this dispensation, we have called the dispensation of grace. In other words, nothing's really changed. Just the way God approached man was always different. God approached him again in innocence, conscience, human government, promise, and law in different ways. But the way that man approaches God has always been the same by faith, by faith, by faith. And we not only approach God by faith, we approach the problems of life by faith. We pull out the sword of the spirit and we start to go against Satan. And that sword is the word of our mouth. That's what it tells us. And that we have been given the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God. Saving faith in Jesus Christ and growing faith from the word of God has always been available to man. Whether Jesus personally visited them in the garden every day 
or he spoke through dreams and visions, whether he talked to them by angels, every time or by the law, the tabernacle, all the different instruments that were in there, all the different uh, feast days, fast days, all these things were given to man to where God could talk to man and show him and give him the word. And by that word, he developed faith. Man developed faith and then took the sword of the spirit and began to use it. But really, the greatest time it was used of all those Old Testament times was at the coming of Jesus Christ, voicing the word of God. And Jesus actually gave us instruction, we can do the same thing. If I can speak to a fig tree and it obeys me, you can speak to circumstances too. I'm gonna ask you a question. Think about this for a minute. Why do we speak to circumstances? Why did Jesus speak to a tree? Why could we speak to mountains? Why can we speak to problems? Because they can hear. You understand that? We speak to things because they can hear. Why would Jesus speak to a fig tree that couldn't hear, but that tree heard it? And when he heard that command, the fig tree died. A mountain can move. Your problems can begin to change because why? Once you speak it, they can hear because God created it, God created you, and the very things he created it with, his word is now in our mouth. We speak to them and they can hear. So that's the beauty of it. So I'm simply here to tell you that financial problem you have has ears. Start to speak God's word into it and you'll begin to change it. The same word that created all the universe and Satan took it, perverted it, and caused it to turn into problems for you. You can take it and begin to speak to it and cause it to turn around just as Jesus did with the fig tree. The Bible is not just a book. It's the mind of Christ. Hebrews chapter four and verse two tells us this. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as unto them. Them is the Old Testament saints, all of them, and it's spoken to us too. The gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. What came out of their mouth all the time? We're scared. Uh, the, 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 you know, the giants are bigger than us and oh, they're, they have these big homes and we're just like grasshoppers. Every time they opened their mouth, it was something about they saw, they saw, they saw. And what Moses wanted them to speak was what they believed, what they believed, what they believed. And sadly, most of them believed what they saw instead of believing what they studied from the word of God. Again, the Bible is not just a book. It's the mind of Christ. And as you study it, you replace the mind of Bill and Susie and Bob with the mind of Christ, where I used to think my way growing up and it never got me anywhere. Now I'm starting to think like Jesus Christ. And out of my mouth comes words that come from my thoughts. If my thoughts are on Jesus, my thoughts are on the word of God and I begin to speak it, I start changing things around me, including circumstances. We have so many examples. I think the bones of Joseph in the Old Testament and that coffin. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 through 26, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and put him in a coffin. But I want you to notice something. It didn't say they buried him. They didn't bury him because they left that coffin out for some uh, 400 years. What does that mean? For 400 years, the only Bible that the children of Israel had in Egypt 
was this coffin in front of them. And they could bring their children around there and say, children, look at this. I know you're being beaten. I know that you're being mistreated. I know they're trying to make servants out of you, slaves out of you. But every day, listen, why don't you come by here, kids, when you get older? And we're gonna bring you here every day to let you see this. But there is a there is bones in this thing. And it's from Joseph, one that brought us into this land. But also, this is just the first stop on the way to a place called Canaan. There's a land waiting for us. And this, again, right here proves it. So for 400 years, that coffin was not buried. And in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him and he placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you and will carry up my bones from here with you. Did they get taken to the promised land? Yes. In Joshua 24 and verse 32, the bones of Joseph which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried in Shechem, in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance to the children of Joseph. What's this saying? For 400 years, they didn't have an open Bible in front of them, but they had a coffin in front of them, and that coffin represented the promise of God. This thing will be buried in the promised land, and we will go with it we will see it happen. This is what God's word has given to you. You look at the word of God, the promise is there, and it's a surety you're going to come through on the other side. Great stuff. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.